Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Kaveh. I'm Kaveh. That goodness gracious you heard is from my co-host, Dr. Sophie Balzora. Sophie, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing much better. I'm pretty much back to, as I was telling you before, my baseline level of shitty uh, (laughs) after my COVID experience. So things are are heading in the right uh, direction, at least. I feel pretty good. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you after listening to that um, solo podcast you did and you seeing you in better spirits, my friend. Oh, yeah. So I did that. So if you haven't listened, listeners who are wondering what she's talking about, I did a uh, quarantine cast when I was diagnosed with COVID and I uh, quarantined myself in a hotel for my family. And it was a little episode. I didn't actually think I was going to get a lot of listeners, but I think I really concerned a lot of people. <laughs> I didn't. Mean I called to. immediately. I called. I texted. I was legitimately concerned. Very I well know. Busy. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. But so many people were like, "Hey, are you okay?" And listeners who I've never met just really kind reached out to me, be like, "Hey, if you need to talk to somebody, I'm here." I'm like, "Thank you." Definitely it was really talk to somebody. I did not. I did not think I came across that sad and, and pathetic, but I really did, I guess. Not pathetic, but just just sad. Like I was sad. I was and sad. Very reflective, which was, you know, very um, warm and humbling, but also quite concerning. Yes, yes. I really appreciate everyone who reached. That was really kind of everyone. I mean, that really helped me. And, and, and I'm lucky that I, I have that kind of ability that I can reach out to people over the net and the 
radio waves or whatever and they reach back it's it was really great so I, i'm feeling much better thank you for asking um you know what we're going to talk about today we, we got a couple of medical students now uh this is going to blow your mind sophie but <laughs> we are way you and i out of medical school <laughs> like i know it's amazing it's been a long time it i didn't it, it's weird if you think about it because mm -hmm. You know, time kind of goes fast. You like do your internship, your residency, fellowship, you start working, things go by really quick, but we are, are, are pretty far away from it. What do you remember about medical school when you look back? What, what are the things that you remember? <sighs> um, being low on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. um, if we can say totem pole, maybe not, but being, you know, low on the, uh, you know, on the list of priorities. I remember oh, yeah. you know, that, that feeling of awkwardness, like, Am I helping? Am I just in the way? Am I just that annoying person that people just hope disappears or fades into the background? Um, but also just like how tight people are, right? People mm -hmm. are, you know, people are very close mm -hmm. um, because you're with each other all the time. Um, but there, there are definitely a lot of clicks. I do remember that. There were mm -hmm. a ton of clicks uh, in mm -hmm. med like, school. It's just like, really well, funny. Well, actually, real quick, I have a hard time imagining you being like, you know, shrinking into the background of anything. Like, I just don't, I feel like you would be running a team even as an, inter, as like a med student, you know what I mean? Um, well, I didn't want to say I was shrinking the background, but I can imagine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what I wanted to hear. That's let's be real here. Um, no, tell, tell me a little bit about the clicks. Well, I mean, you know, there were just um, racial ethnic clicks. There were religiously focused clicks. There were kids with kids clicks. There were, mm you know, people who thought that med school was just an extension of college, you know, mm -hmm. um, keg stand clicks, like they were just, you know, all sorts of different groups of people that kind of kept to themselves. And our class was pretty big, actually. Um, but I, I mean, I loved it. I, I definitely enjoyed it. But, um, yeah. you know, it's, it, when you look back, it was a very, it's a, it's a really tough, demanding time, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, and then of course, like there's the gunners as, as everybody knows. Um, tell, tell people what gunners are just in case we have non, which yeah, we do, we have non-doctors. Yeah, that's important to, um, to kind of move away from the lingo, but yeah, gunners are those folks who um, are very driven, but it, but there is a negative connotation to it and that they kind of have this facade of being very cavalier about, about their grades and how they achieve them and how they do well. But in fact, they're just studying constantly. Well, you're talking about the worst type of gunner, which is the closet, the closet gunner. gunner? The yeah, <laughs> the closet gunner with a, a real gunner who's just out there being like, no, I'm not meeting you guys for drinks. I'm going to go study because <laughs> I have to like ace this test. You're like, all right, it's weird. I get it, though. The closet gunner is the one that's like, oh, no, don't even worry about this test. It's nothing to worry about. I'm just chilling. I'm, I'm hanging out. I don't know what you guys did. I'm just like playing video games and smoking dope. I don't know. That's the closet gunner, but they're really, in reality, they're studying their asses off and they're, they and they're definitely AOA, definitely AOA, AOA, which is like an honors thing for, for medical school. <laughs> um, yeah, that actually doesn't sound too dissimilar from, I guess, from my medical school experience too. There was definitely clicks. Um, it didn't really break down on racial lines that much, but probably because it was a pretty homogeneous, actually, no, I don't know. It didn't, it, it was a relatively diverse group. My school did a pretty good job. Um, mm -hmm. So it didn't break down along racial lines, but there were certainly cliques and you could be in the cool kids or not in the cool kids club or whatever. And um, 
I'm sure people thought I was a closet gunner because I, I, <laughs> I was going to ask you, were you a closet gunner? I, I was not. I was not. But I think people, because I seem pretty stupid, I think people have low expectations of me. So when I do well, people are like, what the fuck? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Like, I got that all the time, Ab. And like, that's happened all along the way. People have such low expectations for me. They're always like, what? He did He did that? What the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't say, I didn't study. I didn't say I'm not like right, kind of right. smart, you know? I just like fucking, I don't no, know. You I don't, just assume that. <laughs> you just assume I'm not smart, which I get. Trust me, I, you know. You know, I've 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 seen me. I know me. I've been with me for a long time. So I recognize that. So, uh, yeah, that that was. But actually, I, I agree with you, actually, about the overall vibe of it. It's funny now looking back. All I really think about are the good parts of it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. As we often do. That's like that's like self-preservation. Totally. The camaraderie. Yeah. Like we had a good time. I was in a I was in a fun town. I was at Davis, which is in California, Northern California. It's a fun little college town. And then part of it was in Sacramento, which I've talked about as an underrated sort of fun town. So yeah, I had a, I had a good time actually. I mean, of course, if you had interviewed me at the time, it'd probably be a very different story. I don't know. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we're totally like, it, it's just like anyone who goes through abuse. <laughs> You're like, are you sure you don't remember? You're right. Yeah, and they exactly. grabbed your head and simulated uh birth i remember that when I, on my OBGYN rotation i was like what? okay i'm not what? doing that what yeah. did they do <laughs> yeah they grabbed your what my head they grabbed they your grabbed head my... yeah it, like... what did they do with it to simulate birth <laughs> it listen it turned me off from OBGYN completely i was that like would... okay internal medicine internal medicine that would turn me off from life. What the <laughs> hell? What was that? I don't understand what they like when they like grabbed your head to be like, this is what it's like going through the vaginal canal. That's fucked up. Uh, why yeah, did, why would that help you? <laughs> it, it, it's definitely something that stuck with me, clearly. It's right. not a good experience. All right, that's insane. Okay. It's all floating back to me. Oh boy, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Okay. Um, our guests are here, so let's go let them in. Um, real quick though, before we do that, tell people where they can find you and tell people again about the ABGH, which I am a big fan of. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, you can find me primarily on Twitter um, at Sophie Balzora MD and Black and Gastro um, is the um, handle for our organization, the Association of Black Gastroenterologists and Hepatologists. And that uh, we were founded last year. It's our birthday coming up in a couple weeks. All right, nice. Yeah. Uh, and please, everyone, follow them. If you don't already, you probably already do. But if you don't, please follow them. Thank you to Nadine for help with production. Uh, stay tuned. We got two really interesting people coming up. They're going to talk to us about what medical school is like now. Now, not like when we were there, but now. <laughs> stay tuned. I'm so excited to have these two. They're so young. These two young, fresh-faced, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed medical students here to join us today. First, we have 
Tema Fudge. She is a medical student in Ohio. Am I correct? Yes. We're not going to say exactly where, although, I mean, I don't know. People probably could figure it out if they really wanted to. But yeah. hey, you know what? Make them do the work. <laughs> and we have Josh McGuff at Stony Brook. Um, hey, guys, thank you so much for joining Sophie and I. Of course. Happy to be here. Um, let me just start with a pretty basic question. How is medical school going? <laughs> that good, huh? That good. Uh, I'm on dedicated right now for step one and part of my three-year program, I have to take both step one and step two uh, by March. So it's, it's kind of a crazy time, but happy to be here. You know, we're, we're really doing it folks. So we're really doing it. God bless you. Tell, tell people what a dedicated is. Is a, a lovely time in a med student's life when they get to hunker down for multiple weeks and uh, do way too many practice questions and, way too many flashcards to then ultimately not feel confident at all on an exam that will independently change the trajectory of their entire life. So, you know, no, no pressure. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a rough time and it's funny because it was rough for Sophie and I, but it sounds like it's only gotten, you know, exponentially tougher as time goes on. And for you guys, um, what about you, Tema? Um, you know, in third year, um, med school has been a rough go, med school in a pandemic, because um, it hit, hit like me and Josh's first year. So that's been fun. Um, step was a battle. Um, had to take step one twice, but it's fine. We passed the second time around. So I got to do dedicated twice, which was an amazing experience. Um, and yeah, it's just been, I think clerkships have been way better personally and getting to actually feel like this is what I came to med school for and talking to patients and having all that good stuff and not just hunkering down with Anki and the world. So I don't know, it's, it's an experience, but this is what we worked so hard to get to. So, you know, take the <laughs> blessings with a little curses. Can you explain what a clerkship is for folks who may not know? Oh yeah, um, so clerkships are basically, um, depending on the school, like six to 12 weeks where you go through the different specialties so you could have like six weeks of internal medicine and you get to experience internal medicine, get to work alongside residents and attendings who are like the doctors who finish their training. Um, and you get to go through different ones. Um, most schools have like the core clerkships, so internal medicine, surgery, OB-GYN, peds, and psychiatry. Those are mostly like the core ones. Um, you get to experience those so that when it comes time to figure out what you wanna do with your life, you at least tried it out for the most part. And have you guys figured out what you want to do with your lives? Emergency medicine. I really like that environment. And I really don't like the operating room. And I really mm -hmm. don't like anything that's outpatient. So mm -hmm. that kind of helped narrow down uh, mm -hmm. the process for me. Yeah, that's important. Figuring out what you don't like. Oh, yeah. um, what about you, Tema? Um, I want to do family medicine or FMOB and do OB fellowship with it. Um, I like outpatient. I don't, I like the operating room only for C-sections. <laughs> That's really the extent of what I like about it. Um, I like small procedures, but then I also like being able to potentially have a patient for 30 years and treat their kids and their grandchildren and potentially deliver them and follow any sort of chronic disease. Um, so that's why family medicine is what I'm applying to this year. I want you to remember what I'm about to tell you right now. 
Okay. You're going to have a feeling about 15, no, about 25 years from now, you're going to have this feeling where you are delivering a patient that you delivered into this world. And you're going to look at your life and be like, holy crap, how did I get so old? And it's going to happen <laughs> so quick, just so you know, it's coming so quick. Enjoy your youth. Enjoy it. Um, you're that old guy. <laughs> I feel it. I feel, I feel it. I got city years on me. You know what I mean? Right. I got city miles. Um, so you, you, you touched on this, Tema. You touched on that you guys are training in a pandemic. And that's something we definitely want to hear about. I mean, that is, um, it's a really strange time. It's a really strange time. And I know this is a question that is impossible to answer, but what's it like training during a pandemic? Um, I feel like it's traumatizing in a way because I don't know what normal looks like. Um, because like, yeah, it started during our first year and depending on your school's curriculum, that was very hit or miss. My school's curriculum is very much relies on the in-person. So having to switch online was not great for a lot of people, myself included. So having to do that and then going into dedicated, having to figure out, okay, these are all the things I was supposed to learn during first year, but the pandemic kind of ruined that. Also mental health took a strong downturn. Um, so it's been very difficult on that aspect. And then even just in the hospital, getting to see patients, Patients will know me only by like the top half of my face. And if they somehow see the bottom half because I'm drinking water, they're like, oh, I did not realize that's what you looked like. <laughs> and I feel like it's very hard to like build connections with people, especially because I want to go into family medicine because I want to build connections with people only seeing this much of their face. Um, and it's, everyone's scared. Everyone is scared. And I think honestly, the pandemic made me want to go into family medicine even more because those connections that like I saw being built and fostered upon in my family medicine rotation are something I feel like there are so many cracks in healthcare that it really the pandemic really brought up and family really allowed me to like kind of dive into those but it's tough because I don't I feel like there's always gonna be a small bit of trauma because like my entry into medicine has been the pandemic that in like 15 years from now I'll be like when I first started like I'll be like shell-shocked honestly and like mm -hmm. talking to like med students like you don't know what it's like you guys think it's hard yeah, <laughs> like in the start of a pandemic. Um, so I don't know. It's very difficult. Ask me this question like 10 years. Yeah. Right now it's bad. Absolutely. It's fascinating to me. I wonder what what it's going to be like for you guys in the future when you look back upon it. I wonder what it's going to be like when when you guys, hopefully, we get to a more quote unquote normal uh, stage of, of medicine where things are a little bit more standardized when the patients come in to see you and there's less trauma around that less uh fear around that i mean it's going to be a really interesting experience i wonder if it's gonna i wonder how it's going to shape your your class's identity you know what i mean i, I wonder what what about you josh for me um the the couple months in the beginning was this weird fugue state of my wife and i were just in the same place and we didn't go anywhere for months at a time, which was new to us. She's a professional dancer. So she's always hustling. I was always in school. So it was like the first time in our like eight year relationship where we were at the same place for an extended period. But when I went to the hospital, uh, for me was in the fall and I started in a critical care emergency department. And that was like my first clinical exposure at a time where it didn't seem cool 
to be overwhelmed by COVID anymore. Like all the residents had been dealing with this pandemic for several months and had been able to process what they were seeing. And I was completely overwhelmed. This was the first time I'd seen um, disorganization and overwhelm to this degree. And I felt kind of lost as like a, it, it wasn't cool to be overwhelmed by it anymore. So part of it, I felt like I had to kind of hunker down and like suck it up and be part of the team. Um, and that's not a very sustainable model I learned. Yeah. No, I mean, you feel like there's been support for you during this process? Uh, in part, yes. In the sense that hearing from other residents and attendings from them that it was completely new to them as well. And they also had no idea what they were doing in a sense was reassuring to me because at a medical student level, when you see these attendings like, oh, they've they've helped so many people. They're like this ethereal being that knows all this stuff. But hearing them say like, look, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. And this is super overwhelming for me too. That was great to hear as a trainee, you know, that I don't feel like I need to all of a sudden know everything after training. Well, I'm curious um, to hear from both of you about kind of what Temet alluded to. Like you said that your, your desire to enter family medicine was actually strengthened by, by what you saw with the pandemic. Do you find with some of your other med students or like Josh for you, for instance, like going into ER medicine, were you kind of more afraid of that specialty? Because perhaps there'll be another pandemic where you're, you know, even more on the front lines than let's say someone who is in some other specialty where they don't have to see people in person as much or, or they're not exposed as much or, or was it the quite opposite experience for you and some of your other you know med students? I originally wanted to do like general community emergency medicine, not the sickest of the sick, but more of a volume game, see a lot of patients, see them come in. If anything for me, seeing very sick folks and how gratifying that can be to take just someone at the brink of death at times or just severely ill and with one patient and many people working together and how fruitful that can be. Um, that was something that I learned about myself that I really enjoy seeing um, patients that are that ill. Um, but in a sense, it kind of made me afraid of everything. Like mm -hmm. I went through all of my rotations with this lens of fear of, well, what are we missing? Because COVID could be the cellulitis. COVID causes everything. Like, what are we missing? So I, one of the biggest takeaways for me was this appropriate level of fear keeps you sharp, but you got to make sure it's not crippling you at the same time. Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I just, I go through life with a, like, it's baseline level of anger towards the system. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I feel like, because of the pandemic, it kind of exacerbated that. And I don't know, I feel like when I went through, because I was initially, I was a little bit interested in family, to be honest, but I wasn't like gung ho about it. But then I did my rotation, and that was luckily like my very first rotation. And I was in a practice that was mostly like Black patients, lower income, and I worked with a Black physician. And I feel like they're the intersections that I got to experience during that rotation really showed me that, like, oh, this is the career that I needed to be in because I can take my unbridled anger at the system and channel it effectively. Um, so it's like, I can be in the community. I can help do COVID education because that's something that unfortunately was very much lacking in certain communities where people were just like, oh, y'all can figure it out. When it's like, no, we need people to like help explain these things. Like just simple, like building those connections between like healthcare physicians and like the communities, especially in communities that were 
medical have so much history of medical mistrust. I think the pandemic kind of brought that out even more. And so I don't know, it just made me realize like, oh, this is the field where I could be the most effective in what I want to do with myself. Cause medicine to me, it's like medicine's a career, but then there's also like the ends to justify the means. It's like what I want to do within the community. And like whenever people are like hashtag FM revolution, like I literally want to burn down the system of medicine and use it to like help fix as many wrongs as I can. Um, so I feel like that's really the only benefit the pandemic had. Um, and I don't know, I feel like a lot of my classmates are like medical school peers, whether it be at my school or others. The pandemic helped bring that out. And a lot of people I've noticed where there's a lot, a lot of people who went into med school thinking one way. And then because of whether it's like the self-isolation of the pandemic, they're like, oh no, this is actually what I want out of this career because medicine is not gonna be my life. These are the other things I wanna achieve. Um, so I think there's been a lot of self-discovery and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think it's just on many levels from students to attendings to residents. I mean, I, I, I'm sure Kaveh sees this too, but I feel like y'all have just this incredible energy that I don't think that Kaveh and I had during med school where there's this like urgency. I mean, it's necessary, right? But there's this urgency. And like, I think people are using their, um, their soon to be degrees as like a, a means to this important end, right? They're using it for advocacy. They're using it for other things as opposed to just, you know, of course it's important to help the person in front of you, but also that bigger goal, right? And that sense of community, which is just amazing. And I do think that that you all inspire people who are older um, to do the same because I, I don't even know. I mean, I find that at least for like the boards, right? That we have to take, it's so hard to even just study, like sit down and study. So for you guys to do that on a regular basis and do all of this extra stuff is just, I mean, incredibly inspiring and amazing to watch. So. Yeah, you guys are, uh, this is, we're, we're going to give you praise one time in this interview and then it's going to be right <laughs> back to breaking your spirits as your medical <laughs> students but you guys we're, we are very impressed with what you know you guys are going through and medical students these days and people going into medical school it's god bless people who are seeing what's happening now and a are still choosing to go into yeah. medicine at all and then b are choosing to do things like family practice, the ER, you know, like I, I am surprised that not every medical student's like, I'm going to do radiology and sit exactly. in a room in my home <laughs> and look at x-rays and no angry emails from radiologists, please. I love you guys just as much as anyone, but it's, it's impressive to me. It's not lost on me. Um, Tema, do you, you know, obviously Josh, going into the ER, the ER is is really the, the literal front lines of this battle. I hate to use war analogies, but they're the literal front lines. But you guys aren't far off. And in some ways, family practice gets, no, not in some ways, in almost every way, family practice does not get the same respect that a lot of other uh, specialties and a lot of other fields of medicine get. But it's nonetheless important and in fact it's as important if not more important so do you feel that do you feel like when you tell people i'm going into family practice they're like trying to talk you out of it do you feel yeah. like there's a vibe that you get when, when you tell people that oh always i think this is the first i like i'm on my surgery rotation right now and i think this is the first rotation where i haven't felt like i'm fighting for my life telling people i want to go into family um and i've had to fight many of people respectfully respectfully because i'm there earning a grade <laughs> but having to explain like 
you may not have gone into family, but this is why I want to go into family and this is why family is so important. Just because they don't rake in the big bucks does not mean that they're not the most grandiose like specialty. Also, I always have to remind people, doctors make a lot of money. I feel like we forget that. We make more than like 99% of the globe. Mm-hmm. So if a family practice, like a family doctor makes just $200,000, that is still a lot of money. Yeah. It might not be as much as like a neurosurgeon, <clears throat> but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live comfortably. <laughs> My children will live comfortably. The cats will be taken care of. The cats uh, will be taken care of. Okay. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. They will be really okay. So I feel like I always have to like fight for my, like defend my choice to go into family, but I don't know. It's like the people who understand, they understand everyone else. Will, They'll like, fuck themselves. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll say. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll say. So they can. Um, so that's, it is what it is. Josh, uh, do you feel that uh, this is Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Collecting for a very specific type of person now to go into ER medicine? Certain types of people. There are certainly uh, stereotypes that ring true in certain specialties. And I think at times there is merit to that. I personally, as a person, I'm very like puppy dog, like I want to be everyone's friend. But <laughs> in in the hospital setting, I'm very locked in. I try to be one of the calmer people in the room. So I think it is self-selecting. But in general, when medical students tend to anchor a little too hard on stereotypes in a specialty, I think they kind of forget. They, they're automatically trying to fold themselves into a mold that might not fit at no fault of their own. Um, so it might be somewhat self-selecting, but I, I, I think there's, there's some room to expand stereotypes in these fields as well. What's the stereotype for gastroenterologists? Hmm, yeah, it, yeah, you're talking to two gastroenterologists right now. <laughs> uh, the, the plumber fields. Well, in, in my experience, there are two camps. There are like the proceduralists, like I will scope everyone all day. I like hands-on or the people that are like so nerdy about the liver. Like you can't say the word LFTs because it's not technically correct. It's not a function test. It's a, you know, so which this is a good example. There's more intra specialty variation, um, that, that I think there's room for a lot of different folks in in specialties should, should we grill them a little bit should we just make the rest of the show us just pimping them just asking do people still use that term pimping in, when i was in medical school people use the term pimping means like when you start asking people medical students really tough questions and it starts kind of like a level one and then it goes level two three four and the the, the levels go up so do, do people there's no level one they don't they don't just do level five <laughs> 
they, they're like, oh, I'm not going to ask you, like, oh, well, this is the heart. They'll be like, okay, so the blood supply that goes to this, therefore goes to this. What is the organ? I'm like, leave me alone. I don't want to do this. So people still pimp, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll okay. say that it's not pimping, but it definitely is. Like, there's oh. a, there are so many words that you can call, uh, like, asking a medical student questions until they're uncomfortable and they feel defeated. <laughs> like, there's really only one way of phrasing that. Uh, are you excited to do that soon when you're a resident and you're an attending to other people? I'm really not. I really don't want to do that at all. Like I, and the best thing that I've seen from residents is them asking like, what are you interested? What do you care about? And it's like, great. Like then I can just ask you questions. Cause that's more of a position of growth than a position of putting someone down. So I, I hope to reflect more of that. We're going to remember this. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to ask <laughs> I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to bring medical students that work under you on this show and we're going to talk <laughs> to them. This is a note. Um, I, I know there's so many people who, who write in uh, to the show uh, with, with questions about getting into medical school. And to be honest with you, it's been so long for me. I can't give them the best advice. What advice do you guys have for people that are applying now? And I mean, what, if anything, would you guys have done differently in, in your process? Um, I think my best advice, honestly, is, it's going to sound like so cliche, but it's like, honestly, really stick to yourself. I think like going into undergrad, there's always like the classic pre-med mold of like, you have to take these classes, you have to be this major, you have to do a senior thesis and do all of these things. I was not that, granted, I was a biochemistry student by force, but I (laughs) did not. (laughs) It's by force. It's like, I have immigrant parents. They were like, we're not sending you to college to study XYZ. <laughs> we're not doing that. Exactly. Um, but I did not join like the Chemphys liaison. I did not write a senior biochemistry thesis. No, I did my like social justice, public health things. I did my like biostatistics. Like I did the stuff that I enjoyed. And I feel like that really showed through when I was applying and like interviewing. Because if you had made me do a research project, I like in the lab doing white lab stuff, I would have sounded bored talking about it. But when I got to talk about like my global health stuff and going to Uganda, like people could tell I really cared about those things. Um, so that's why I just always tell students like, just do what you're passionate about and then you'll go to the school that's right for you or like, at least the schools will see who you truly are. Um, so I think that's my best advice. That's great advice. D- d- would you do anything differently? Probably just, I think try to talk to students at the different schools more I think, of course, every school is trying to showcase themselves um, and put their best foot forward. But every school like is different, especially in curriculum. And I feel like I didn't really know about different med school curriculums when I was applying, um, which is something like had I known then, it may have made a difference in like what schools I applied to and like what schools I chose and everything. But it's like either way, you're going to get your degree. So it is what it is. (laughs) And, And Josh? Yeah, there were uh, definitely things that I would do differently. Um, The first thing would be to realize that it was an attainable option for me. I wasn't really pre-med until halfway through my junior year of college, had some uh, family health scares and I had my own health challenges and I didn't have anyone in my family that was part of this field. And I, from my experience, only tended to see people like I have a dermatologist dad and a neurosurgeon mom, and those are the types that go into medical school. So the first thing I would do differently is know that it was an option for me all along. Uh, The second thing I would have done differently is not done anything for anyone else other than my own. Uh, and, And what I mean by that is I changed my major to like, I did molecular genetics and a degree in chemistry. 
and I had two minors and I was like, oh, I can prove it to these people how smart I am. Meanwhile, the only thing I talked about in my interviews was like playing drums on the jazz band and doing acapella. Like that was all people cared about. Mm -hmm. And I totally would have just done like chemistry because I liked it in music because I liked it way more than trying to do a bunch of classes for other people, which wasn't even the case at the end of the day. That's a really good point. I feel like a lot of us get lost in that. There's like so many hurdles you have to go through in medicine. I've talked about this before that like, as you're trying to apply to medical school, you're just going through one brick wall after another, just bum rushing it, doing what, put your head down and you just keep working. You keep working because you're afraid if you do anything to stop and think about why you're doing it, you lose momentum and then you sink. It's really important to think about why you're doing it, what it is you love the kind of things that are you're passionate about. And you're exactly right. Those things do show because to some degree, there are certain programs that are going to be looking for like that super well published that the incredibly like the top 0.0001% of, of students, but a lot of schools and most schools, most programs, most jobs, when you're applying to them, they're looking to a make sure you have like that bare level of competence, which, you know, most medical students have, but then they want to know, what are you going to be like to work with? Are you going to be cool? Are you going to be someone fun to work with? Do you have interests? Do you want to do things like, you know, help the, you know, like Tema's doing, like in, in, in help social injustice? Do you have interests like the ones that Josh, you're mentioning, you know, things you can talk about outside of medicine. Those things are super important. Um, I'm glad that you guys sort of recognize that. If, if Did you do anything in your process, Josh, that you feel like you could have done better? Um, I found out kind of halfway through my interview cycle that being brutally honest, uh, with some candor worked, worked out pretty well for me. Uh, there were some schools that were very, um, focused on having a section of their students that were interested in rural health, interested in primary care. And there's kind of this game, medical school is similar as well. You kind of say, oh, I want to go into whatever field your resident is like, oh, I'm on surgery. Yeah, I want to surgery of course because you're going to give me an eval and i want straight fives back yeah. in the medical school interview it's similar you kind of want to say like oh yeah i'm totally interested in these things but i learned later on when i said hey listen like i'm not from a rural area i think it's very important um, for a physician to have something in common so they can build rapport with their patients i don't think i have that it's not what i'm passionate about let me tell you what i'm passionate about and i i feel like the people interviewing me either thought wow, that's great that you're either being honest with me or I got rejected from that school, but like, it's not a school that would have been a good fit for me anyhow. Um, I think if I learned that early on, it would have saved a lot of stress. And again, just uh, instead of doing things for other people, it would have let me stay true to what my own priorities are. Yeah. Wow, you guys have a very mature uh, perspectives um, that I'm not sure, you know, sometimes when people take a very traditional path, right? Or don't maybe come from a, like you said, a, I mean, a, a, a large chunk of, of medical students um, come from families where there's at least one physician in the family, or they're from a higher socioeconomic status or like what have you, um, not from, you know, first generation families. And I think that a lot of those things that, um, that we are, are starting to celebrate now and put more importance now on now weren't, weren't so much an issue before. And I think that that, you know, those types of things that you're mentioning, like the, the both of you are very um, mature kind of thought processes. And I think that people really do get stuck in that rut of like trying to fit into this particular, you know, mold that they, that they think is ideal for what 
they what an applicant should look like. Um, and I think more and more people are realizing like the test scores don't are not what make a good physician. It's all these other things that you guys are talking about. You know, I've, I've also noticed that you guys are, you're part of this generation of younger trainees that are noticeably much more outspoken, both on social media and you know, in real life about issues that you guys have with our, our system, our, our current system. And I'm kind of curious to know what kind of feedback you get from, from older doctors. I mean, not like Sophie. I mean, Sophie and I are still cool, like <laughs> millennials. Like we listen to like Justin Science Bieber or K-pop or whatever, M-pop. We're on M-pop, Malaysian pop. That's our thing. Malaysian pop is the new hot thing. You guys don't know about it yet. But like what do regular older doctors, um, how, how, what kind of, what kind of feedback are you getting from them? Is it supportive? Is it, is it not? Tema, why don't we go with you first? Um, I feel like, well, I don't bring up too many issues, like, I guess in class, cause I'm there for a grade, right? And I'm trying not to ruffle any feathers, but I think on social media, especially there's, it's a very mixed bag of either the, I wish we were outspoken like you all are now, we support you, cool, we have that camp. Or there's the, you're just a student right now, shut up, you'll be in attending soon. I'm like, mm, no, I don't like that. Um, and maybe it's just the Gen Z in me, but I am very like pro, I don't care if the system has been like this the whole time, like it doesn't mean it's right. And also a lot of the people are talking are the ones like Josh mentioned, like both parents are doctors, grandparents are doctors. They went to school, med school when it was like $100 per semester. I don't care what med school was like for y'all. I don't care what your training was like. It doesn't make it right. Um, so I think it's just a very mixed bag. Luckily, um, the block button exists on social media. So I block the doctors who are very rude about it to trainees. Um, but yeah, it's, just, it's a very mixed bag, unfortunately. What about you, Josh? You know, for me, uh, I have not gotten a lot of pushback, but I find a, a fair component of that is the folks that are in power in health systems tend to be people who look like me. You know, like I'm a cishet white guy and the people who are in power tend to have a similar background to me. So I don't have to worry about um, impressions or implicit biases that are against other folks. So part of that is from a standpoint of privilege. The, the other privilege that I have as well is I'm part of a like a linkage program. Like I already have a guaranteed residency. So like it doesn't really hurt me that much if I get straight average as an evaluation. As long as I pass, I still get my residency slot. So I don't have that like uh, that, that um, extra challenge of feeling like I need to mitigate some of that risk. Um, so I kind of speak a little more freely. Um, but as far as social media goes, yeah, I use the block and the mute button pretty liberally. Uh, and that's been good for my own mental health. <laughs> But you guys do feel a difference, right, between your generation and, say, Sophie and my generation. More vocal, definitely. I think since our like since I was a, a young kid, the Internet has been the norm. So feeling like the world is a pretty small place has been something I've just been uh, familiar with from the get go. So I think part of that is just, well, if I don't have like minded people, I can tweet something or post a video or an Instagram. And then ultimately I have my own cohort that I can find strength in. Uh, and I think that makes us bold in, in, a, in a sense as well. Sophie, did you, did you come from a medical family? Yes. My dad is, so my, both my parents were born in Haiti. Um, and my dad went to uh, medical school in Brussels. 
Um, and, and that's where he met my mom, who was a nurse. Um, so there's a lot of medicine in the family. My sister's a doctor. Um, my brother was smart enough not to be. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of medicine around, um, you know, and, and for, for me, I think like when, when I was, uh, when I was in, even since elementary school, it's like, you will be a doctor. It's like, yeah. or maybe a lawyer, but a doctor. Really. <laughs> right. Um, like, <laughs> so that, I mean, I feel Tama there, you know, that's there and, and, you know, other immigrant families too. So that was definitely there. But, um, you know, everybody has uh, has their own struggles and, and kind of challenges. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just so different. I mean, I think these generations are worlds apart. Um, and I'm so glad things have changed for, for you know, granted that the climate that has kind of propelled this change forward is, is absolutely horrific. But at the same time, it's like, this is what we need. Like, our field needs to be much more outspoken. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in, in the way that I came from a, from a, a medical family is very traditional, certainly. But uh, well, I, I understand it really well. I mean, you know, <laughs> also the same story, pretty much different countries, but same basic concept with my family, too. It's like you're Iranian. You get basically, you know, you could be a doctor. If you want to disappoint your parents, you could be a lawyer. If you want to be invited, you could be an engineer. That's a third option. You could be an engineer. I mean, you're not going to. They're not going to die because of it, but you are going to break your mother's heart, just so you know. Um, so I, I definitely get that. I mean, sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't. I mean, actually, I don't know if you guys experienced this. I mean, I'm glad you medical students had haven't had these sorts of experiences, but um, or maybe you have. But I felt like actually sometimes in the application process, that actually wasn't a strength. Most times it was for in the most case, like we came from privileged backgrounds. We had uh, abilities and knowledge a lot of people don't. But I do think smart people want to bring in people like yourselves that may not have a medical family background. They want to be, bring in people from different you know, places. So I think that's, I think now that's more common. I feel like people are realizing now how important it is not only to bring in people who look like the patients we're going to be treating, but also come from those areas, have the same interests, have like uh, a similar history, you know, I think that's really something we're finding is important, right? Representation of, of all different types. Do you, do you guys feel that that's something that's being emphasized now in your training? Um, I think so. I think it's also an interesting dichotomy because like I said, like my family, like my family's Cameroonian and for a lot of applications now they're like, oh, don't do the stereotypical like first generation American story. That's why you want to go into medicine. And it's weird because like that is part of why I want to go into medicine though. Like mm -hmm. that is a factor, but they're like, but don't rely on that. That's cliche. And I'm like, oh, okay. My identity is cliche. Right, exactly. But, uh, You're like, <laughs> but then you also want to like champion my identity, like other parts of it. And it's like all these different parts make up who I am. Like I cannot separate me being a black woman and also being like a first generation person. So I don't know, it's very interesting. I think a lot of places, unfortunately, like it's become the new tick box, like we have to show we're diverse, but it's like the inclusion aspect is still a lot of us are working on it. Um, so I'm interested to see how that continues to go because it's very easy to just increase the number of students of color in your class. But then are those students of color feeling supported and are they feeling supported as they continue on to residency and beyond? So it's like, that's the thing about medicine, I think still needs to be improved. 
Well, let me ask you guys then, because I, I think that there is an exodus, particularly of black women, um, uh, you know, they're leaving academia, you know, so, so for both of you, like, do you see a future in, in academia? Do you feel like there's another type of, um, you know, way to serve that, that you feel like is more, will be more fulfilling with what you've seen on social media? Do you feel like academics is like the devil or do you feel like you want to dive in and try to improve it? Like where's your head at? Part of the encouragement that I've seen from other people, uh, like on social media, like there are physicians that are fully fulfilled and fully great at their job. And that doesn't mean they need to have assistant or associate professor at the end of their name. Um, people that find fulfilling things in either locums or quality improvement or med legal or podcasts or, you know, just uh, still being able to be good at their job. I think it's hard in an academic silo. We're exposed to other fully academic people. And this tends to be like 100% their gig. And they kind of bash on the people like, oh, well, they don't read their journal every morning. And it's like, well, neither do you. Like, don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, right. So I think part of that is amplifying voices that are in a different background. So that kind of gets exposure. Um, but I think as well, uh, we were kind of talking about how um, inclusion for the sake of numbers is something that our, our generation, Tema and I, we're not really uh, jazzed up about like, okay, you have a person, but like, are you supporting them? Are you nurturing them? Are you promoting them? Because the differential between how many people of color are the chairs of their department or are leading a hospital or how many are getting stuck at assistant professor. Um, you know, there was this journal that I read recently about how like, it was something like 25 to 30% of women, all women uh, practice half time or less after five years, you know what I mean? So holding people to account to say, okay, you had this number for five years and then you let them go. Um, so I think making it more of a continual process is something that uh, folks in our generation are definitely keeping a close eye on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really impressed with both you guys. And uh, I'm going to close up the interview here uh, in just a moment, because I'm sure you have to study. Um, <laughs> and if you don't have to study, um, be no, first of all, you should be studying. So study go study something, something after this. <laughs> I expect a five-minute presentation uh, tomorrow. Um, that no one will have time for, which I always hated that. Yes, it's like but you will prepare entire... for it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but real quick, but before you guys go, um, I want to, to do... do Two things, two things. One, I want to make sure we get your plugs. I want people to follow you on your social media accounts, where wherever those may be. I think I know Twitter at least. But I, I also want to hear about your your hope for the future. Um, are you guys hopeful for the future? Are you guys at, at still feel like your futures are, are bright? You, you excited about your careers? Um, where are you guys at, honestly? Um, I think I'm still hopeful. Um, by force, by fire, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to have a good life. I'm going to be fulfilled, not just within this career, but within just like my life in general. So I think that's why I haven't like given up all hope. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's ultimately going to be good. It's just going to be a battle getting there. Um, and it's going to be a continuous journey, but that's medicine as a whole. Yeah. What about you, Josh? For me, uh, career-wise, I still know, like, I'm happiest when I'm, like, in a hospital seeing patients. So as far as, like, a career as a physician, I'm super stoked. 
to like not be home studying for step one anymore. Um, as far as beyond that, like I like the idea of academics and teaching and kind of emboldening the next cohort of uh, future physicians. But I've also learned, um, you know, like I got a kid now who's six months old. Like if I at any moment am like, wow, I'm not happy in academics, I'm totally going to peace out and I'm not going to lose like a minute of sleep on it. I found like the, the return on investment of this whole process is like my own happiness and the impact I can have on others. And if I'm miserable, I am not going to be a great doctor. So I, I feel like I've slowly learned how to forgive myself a little more um, and kind of take things in stride as they come. You guys, you guys, that. you guys have the right attitude <laughs> and, and you have a vocabulary that Sophie and I, I don't think we had, like you guys say shit that like, I don't think we <laughs> had the language for back then, but it's fantastic. I do believe you guys are our future and um, yeah. you know, teach you well and let you lead the way and beauty <laughs> you have inside. So anyways, okay. Tell people where they can find you. Um, I do want people on social media to, to follow you guys because you guys give a really good uh, insight into what it's like in, in the world of training. And, and I know both you guys are active in, in sort of shaping the younger generations coming behind you already. So where can people find you? So I'm at Josh Magoo on Twitter. If you want to see a lot of nuanced uh, step one stuff that you forgot with good reason and kind of have a laugh at medical education with me. Um, I'm the same on Instagram as well if you want to see pictures of my kid, but I'm mostly active on Twitter. Yeah, cute kid, by the way, man. Good job. Strong work. Thanks, man. <laughs> I thought so, too. I was yeah. worried. You know, Kids no, are kind of weird do. looking at the beginning. No, it, it, it was a little cuter than it's supposed to be when it comes out. So, so yeah. strong work with that. Uh, Tema. Um, I'm at Tema Fudge, like the chocolate, on Twitter. Um, you can see me yell into the void about medical education. Um, just tweet whatever comes to my mind. I share pictures of my cats a lot because they give me hope and happiness. And those are my children at this point. Um, so yeah, and then Instagram is the same, but I really don't post on there. So yeah. All right, both you guys should be followed. And Sophie, just one more time, where can people find you on Twitter? Sure, uh, Sophie Balzora, MD, um, or you can find us at Black and Gastro, the Association of Black Gastroenterologists and Hepatologists. All right. And thank you to Nadim for help with production of the show. Thank you all for listening and rating, reviewing us on iTunes. I really appreciate it. If you don't already also follow us at the house of pod on Twitter. Hey, thank you guys so much. This is really a pleasure. And yeah, it, was it, was really, it was really nice for Sophie and I to, to talk to you guys. Thanks folks. Appreciate it. Good night. Thank you all so much. Get to work. <laughs> uh, I'm hearing the outro in my head. Like, I'm alive. <laughs> Kaveh, can you just do it for them, please? Because I remember the first time I heard the intro, I was just so excited yet horrified. Please. No, please. no, no. That's a special thing. They have to make it the co status. <laughs> not, not everyone gets that, Sophie. They'll get there in time. Get my promotion, and then I'll be worthy of something. I understand. Exactly. This younger generation, they expect everything. They want it to them. They have to work for it. I'm getting guys... a trophy for this podcast, right? Like. <laughs> No, you guys are really great. Definitely going to have you guys back on again if you're willing. So thank you so much for coming on, guys. Cool. Thanks. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. 
Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.